Well, hey everyone, thanks for checking out this message from Journey Church. These resources are so awesome to have when you're out in nature like we are and you gotta go be outside on these nice days. However, we want you to know that there is nothing better than true fellowship with believers and live worship with your fellow Christians. So be sure to use this message only in conjunction with getting fed in a community of believers. Hey, we also want you to get connected with us, so be sure to text the word CONNECT to 307-271-9160 so that you can stay in the loop with everything happening at Journey Church and get notifications about upcoming events. Hey, we pray that this message encourages you and inspires you as you continue this life on your walk with Jesus. Well, thanks for joining us today and being a part of our time of worship uh, here this morning. Great time of worship. I love the songs that the band played today, and I hope that you really engaged with that. Um, Worship time through music is about really singing praises to the Lord. And uh, you may think, well, I don't like to sing or I don't have a good voice. And that's not what it's about. It's about making a joyful noise unto the Lord and about praising him and not worrying about what other people think, but just praising him with all of your heart. And that's what I hope that you were able to do today. And I hope that's what you do every Sunday when we have our time of worship. And speaking of worship, I'd let you know yesterday was Pastor Stephen's birthday. So make sure you go wish him a belated happy birthday. And I'm sure if anyone wants to, you know, buy him gift cards or bake him something or whatever, he is going to accept all of that. So, and if he won't, I'll take it on his behalf. So, um, happy birthday to Pastor Stephen, 34. Amazing. He, I, I've seen him grow up in our time together at the church. And so that's been, that's been awesome to see. Um, the Thanksgiving meal next week, make sure you're a part of that and come and attend. That's going to be after second service. Second service will be, it's usually much smaller than our first service crowd. Um, first service is basically uh, standing room only sometimes, uh, like today. Uh, second service, I think next week is going to be very large because a lot of people will be coming for that meal. So just plan appropriately and be a part of that. That's such a good time in the life of the church. And then um, with host orphans worldwide, make sure you stop and visit at the table. That is such a uh, wonderful ministry. We want to help. We want to support, pray for, encourage, and volunteer to be a part of that. So make sure you stop and talk to them. In fact, today's message really ties in to the work that they do at Host Orphans, as you'll see as we get through the message. All right, let's get into this today. Uh, We started last week with a new sermon series called Sit, Walk, Stan, this is a series covering the book of Ephesians. Ephesians can be nicely divided into three different sections. It all starts with this idea of sitting. The Christian life begins as you learn to sit. What do you do when you sit? You rest and you receive what God has in store for you. You cannot understand God and walk with God and stand for God until you learn to sit and receive what God has in store for you. Many of us are too busy as people, we have a hard time. We, we become Christian doers rather than Christian beers. And we need to be a beer rather than a doer. 
We are human beings, not human doings. Just keep that in mind as you are living out your life that you need to receive from God in order to be able to live the life that God has for you. So the first section is about learning to sit. When you learn to sit, then you learn to take a, to, you learn to walk out the life. In Ephesians 4, Paul says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling that you've received. So we are going to learn how to walk out this life. The principles that we are learning in the first three chapters, now we start to put them into practice and we learn and we walk with God through the difficulties of life. I won't have the power to walk with God until I have learned to sit and be and receive from God. And then ultimately... The last part of Ephesians, we learn to take our stand. We learn how to stand against the enemy that is real and active in the world today. My hope is that through this series, you start really being overwhelmed with the love of God. The point uh, of being overwhelmed with the love of God reminds me so much of when my daughter Abigail, who was five years old, and I still remember this scene in my mind, uh, little Abigail came up to me smiling and gritting full of full of excitement and enthusiasm five years old she said to me daddy my heart is overflowing with love and I just can't keep it in and she giggled and we hugged and that was the picture to me of what the Christian life should be that it's just overflowing and I can't keep it in anymore and that's what we receive as we sit in him and we receive this overwhelming love that God has for us. Well, today we're going to get into this. We're going to start really, last week was an introduction. Today we are going to look at the Father's love. Let's look again at verses 1 and 2 as a quick recap of what we talked about last week. So verses 1 and 2, it says this, Paul, an emissary of Messiah Yeshua. A lot of words there. You may think, I don't know what those mean. I've not seen those before. Let me quickly explain those. The word emissary is the word apostle. Paul, an apostle of Messiah Yeshua. The word Messiah is the word Christ. Uh, Christ or Christos in the Greek, Messiah is the concept and the idea in Hebrew. And it is of Yeshua. Yeshua is the Hebrew word for the word Jesus. Jesus, his actual name is Yeshua in Hebrew. That name from Yeshua got changed to Christ, or to Jesus, uh, uh, and then it got changed into Jesus. That's what we know it as today. It's perfectly fine to refer to him as Jesus, but there's significance, prophetic significance in the name Yeshua. We're going to talk about that next week. Paul is writing this to the Kedoshim in Ephesus. Now, remember from last week, what is Kedoshim? It is from the Hebrew word kadosh, and what it means is the holy ones, or it means the saints. He's writing to the saints, to the Kedoshim in, in Ephesus. <clears throat> what makes you a saint? What makes you a holy one in God's sight? Well, it's very simple. You trust in Messiah Yeshua. You trust in Christ Jesus. When you trust in Jesus, God looks at you as a saint, as a holy one, as one of the Kedoshim. Grace and peace or shalom to you from God our Father, the Lord Yeshua, the Messiah. This is how Paul introduces his letter. We're going to move on from that today to verse 3 with these words. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Yeshua the Messiah, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Messiah. He chose us in the Messiah 
before the foundation of the world, to be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Messiah Yeshua, in keeping with the good pleasure of his will, to the glorious praise of his grace, with which he favored us through the one he loves. You may hear those words that I have just read and thought, what does that mean? That sounds confusing. Really, it's not confusing. What I just read was simply this. It was a message from the Father. It was about the Father's love, and it's about the love of the Father that is going to be demonstrated to all of us. That's that's just what we read. The Father loves you, and he wants to show you how much he loves you. And that's what we're going to understand today as we sit and receive what God has in store. Let's pray and let's get into this message today, starting with the Father and looking at the Father's love. Father, we come before you today humbly seeking after you. This is not not about any person. This is not about any one of us. Lord, I don't want the attention for sure. I don't want the focus on me. I want it to be all on you. So Lord, help me to deflect everything to you, to point to you, to be a mirror for you, Lord, that you can receive the praise that you are due. Today, Father, we want to hear from you. We want our hearts to be changed by you. We want to be overwhelmed with the love that you have for us. Lord, show us what that means. Help us to receive what that is. Help us, Lord, to to learn what it means to sit and rest in this incredible love that the creator God has for each one of us. Lord, bless this time. Be with us now in this place. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, let's get into this. Let's look at it again. We'll start with the idea and the concept of the Father. Starting in chapter 1, verse 3, read it again with me. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Yeshua, the Messiah. I want to stop right there and I want to key in on this word, these words, this phrase, God and Father of our Lord Yeshua. And I want to especially focus in on this idea of Father. What does that do to you when you hear the word Father? Do you know that many people have a real hard time in their relationship with God when it comes to this concept of father? He's my father. What does that mean? Why would people have a hard time with that? Well, maybe in your life you had an earthly father that was anything but loving, anything but caring, anything but praiseworthy, and now you're associating the idea of God the father with an earthly father give you some examples of that. Maybe you had a father in your life that abandoned you. You never knew him. He was never part of your life. And because of that, maybe this concept for father for you is difficult because you feel like God is somebody who's just going to abandon me. Maybe your father didn't abandon you, but he was there in the house, but he was very distant. He was a workaholic, or he was an alcoholic, or he was a drug addict, or he was just a narcissist in your home. And because of that, he was very distant toward you. And so you had an idea of a father that is just very removed. And because of that, it's a struggle today. You have this idea of God as a distant God, a, a, a far away God, an uninvolved God. Maybe 
You had a father that wasn't, didn't abandon you. Maybe he wasn't distant with you, but maybe he was an angry man. And this angry man that you grew up with as your father has affected you in the way that you see God. Because he was so angry, you couldn't do anything right. Everything was always a mess, a mistake. You were trembling in in fear of this father. And because of that, you carry those father issues, and now you hear God the Father, and you feel like, yeah, but he's an angry God. He's waiting to punish. He, he's waiting to pounce when I mess up and do something wrong. Maybe it was a very shaming father who told you all the time that you're not good enough and you don't amount to anything or some other form of this distant relationship or this broken relationship with the father that all of a sudden is affecting how you see God as your father. So Paul right away at the very beginning wants to point out the fact that God is not like man. He is not like your earthly father. He is someone who is completely different. Numbers 23:19 says God is not man that he should lie or a son of man that he cha- should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? God is a promise keeping God unlike any earthly father. We try to do the best that we possibly could as as dads, but we don't do it 100% right. We have failings, and the real impact of sitting and resting and receiving is knowing that our Father is not like God the Father. God the Father is perfect in love, perfect in care, perfect in compassion, perfect in His nature, and we need to receive that from Him today. I'll never forget, it was 25 years ago, I was sitting with a friend of mine for coffee. We were in a Barnes & Noble bookstore. They had a Starbucks coffee there in that Barnes & Noble 25 years ago in Sioux Falls. And I would regularly get together with him. Probably once a week, we would get together. And he had a very broken and distant and hurting relationship with his earthly father. And it was very hard for him to wrap his brain around the concept of God being a perfect loving father. It was a very hard thing that he had to deal with. Never forget, we were sitting there having coffee, and I was watching and listening to my friend, but also observing what was going on in the restaurant or in the coffee shop. There was a father, and he had a little child. The child was probably three or four, a little boy, and they were just there at the bookstore, and they decided to get a coffee, and he was going to get an apple juice, and they were just going to sit down and have a, just relax a little bit. As they were getting their stuff, the father had his coffee. He gave the little bottle of apple juice to his son and they were walking from the counter to the table that they were going to sit about halfway through the little boy dropped the bottle of apple juice it slipped out of his hand it was on a tile floor this glass bottle of apple juice shattered everywhere mess everywhere glass going everywhere and the little boy started to cry the father looked at his little son and said honey that's okay not a big deal we'll clean it up And said, I'll get you a new bottle of apple juice. He took his little son, sat him on the seat, and went to the counter, got the new bottle of apple juice, picked up all of the glass. The person behind the counter got a mop and mopped up all of the mess, and all was good. I was watching this happen, and then I looked back at my friend. As I looked back at my friend, his eyes were filled with tears, and tears were actually streaming down his cheeks. And I looked at him, and I said, well, what's wrong? 
And he said these words that would stick with me. He said, if that had been my father, that would have never happened. If that had been my father, I would have been screamed at, told how stupid I was, how clumsy I was. I would have been spanked and we would have gone home and it would have been a miserable rest of the day if that had been my father. That is the wound that he carried. And that was why it was so hard for him to ever receive the fact that that's not who your heavenly father is. God our father is different than any man, any person. He is not like man. He is one who he wants you to receive what he has, and that is an incredible love for you. So as you enter into this whole Bible series that we are going through, I want you to have in the back of your mind that God is not like my earthly father. My dad did the best that he knew how. My dad did the best that he could possibly do under the circumstances because he was raised with a horrible father. I want to break that cycle and break that chain. That's not who you want to be this going forward. But I need to receive from God the fact that he is a father who's different than any father I can picture in this world. So it starts with the idea of father. Some of the attributes that are talked about in the Bible of God the Father are things such as this. He's the Almighty. He is the Creator. He is given the attributes or talked about him, these attributes of him being omniscient, that is all-knowing, omnipresent, that is all-powerful, um, uh, omnipotent, that is all-powerful, omnipresent, that is ever-present, omnibenevolent, that is all-good, always-good. But the greatest word for him is the word Abba. It's talked about in the book of Romans and the book of Galatians how God is our Abba Father. This idea of Abba Father is really remarkable because Abba was the word that a child would use for their daddy. In our culture, we use Dada and Mama. Those are the words that we use to describe Mom and Dad. By the way, it's a competition in every home as to the first words that a child is going to say. Is it going to be mama or is it going to be dada? Uh, I have six children and I can say without a doubt that it was dada. It was the first word for all six of my children. I have no proof of that or memory of that, but I'm choosing to believe that, that that was the first words. In Hebrew culture, they didn't use the word daddy. They used the word patir in Greek. Patir is where we get our word paternity from. Matir is maternity. Patir is paternity. But in Hebrew, for the child, an infant or one or two or three, four, they would look at their father and they would call them Abba. And God said in Romans chapter 8, verse 15, you have not received the spirit of slavery leading to fear again. You have received the spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. God is saying, you can call me your Abba because that is the most intimate kind of relationship that we can have. When I had grandchildren, and I, ha I have two grandchildren now and a third on the way, and I know you look at me and you think, he's so young. How can he possibly have? I'm older than I look probably. 
when my grandchildren were born, I was thinking, well, what I want my grandchildren to call me. On one side of the family, it's Papa, and I didn't want that because I didn't want it to be confusing. Grandpa just felt too, I don't know, out of touch with reality for me. I just didn't feel like I'm not a grandpa. I, I can't. I don't feel that. I thought, you know what? I know the word I want them to use for me. And that is the Hebrew word for grandfather. The word for father is Abba, or daddy is Abba. The word for grandfather is Saba. And so I thought, I, I want to use that. I want it to be Saba. So my little grandson, the first one who's now six, he could never say Saba. He started calling me from a very young age. He started calling me Baba. So I have been Baba to him for six years of life, and it will probably just stick and remain for the rest of life. And the picture of that is the most close and intimate, that you're, you, you don't have to fear I'll protect you. I will love you. I'll provide for you. I'll be there for you. I'll encourage you because you're my grandson and I'm your, I'm your Baba. And that's what God says to us. So we have a father. That's the first thing Paul says. But let's not just look at the father. Let's look at the father's love. How does he love us? Well, here's how he loves us. This is remarkable as we look at this together. Here's what it says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus the Christ, Yeshua the Messiah. The Father has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Messiah. He chose us in the Messiah before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him in love. Then it says, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Messiah, uh, Messiah Yeshua in keeping with the good pleasure of his will to the glorious praise of his grace with which he favored us through the one he loves. This is all about the Father's love. Now, these verses, without getting into the weeds, because I know that that's not uh, where you want to go, but these verses have been a theological debate over time between different groups of theologians. And the groups are debating over, did he really choose us or did he give us the free will that we can come to him? Let me answer it this way. These verses really have nothing to do with that. The emphasis that most people put on these verses is right here. They put an emphasis on the word us. He has blessed us. He chose us. He predestined us. The word predestined, by the way, just means determined beforehand. Let me tell you this. Those are not the emphasis of the verses. You are not the center of the world. This is not all about you and I. This is about what God did. Here's where the emphasis should be. Read it this way with me. Understand it this way with me. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Yeshua the Messiah, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Messiah. That's the emphasis. He chose us in the Messiah before the foundation of the world, to be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Messiah, in keeping with the good pleasure of his will. So what does this all mean? Let me give you an example, or let me give you an explanation of how this works. At the moment of time of creation, 
Before that time began, God, back in the beginning, the Father and the Son had a conversation. And the conversation went something like this. The father said, I, you and I, son, we are going to create the world. In my sovereign knowledge, I know that the world is going to be absolutely a mess. We're going to create the world and we are going to create humanity. I love humanity. I care about humanity. I don't want any human to perish but all to come to me. That's my hope, that's my goal, that's my desire. I don't want anyone to perish, but I know they will. I know, son, before everything ends, the world is going to fall apart. People are going to become evil. They're going to become sinful. They are going to turn their backs on me, turn their backs on you. They are going to be rebellious in heart. But you know what, son? We need to give them a chance. I don't want to send all of them to hell at all. I want to give them an opportunity to come to you. So here's what we're going to do, son. Are you in this with me? Do you, will you do this for me? We're going to do this. We are going to make a point in time where you, Jesus, you, my son, whom I love with all of my heart, we are going to make a point in time. It's going to be 4,000 years from the point of creation. You're going to come here to this place. You're going to leave the glory and the paradise of being with me, the presence of the Father. And I'm going to send you, and for 33 years, you're going to be on that planet. You're going to be among the people. You're going to minister to the people and you're going to give an opportunity to the people. You're going to give them an opportunity to repent and get right with me. During that time, they're going to reject you. They're going to scorn you. They're going to beat you and torture you. They're going to nail you to a cross. And in fact, on that cross, you're going to die. After you die, you're going to descend into the pits of hell and you're going to preach the message there to the people who had already died prior to me being there. And then you're going to, you're going to raise again. You're going to be resurrected on the third day. After a certain period of time after that, son, I'm going to bring you back. You will ascend back to your father's throne and we'll be back here together. But for 33 years, it's going to be rough. We're going to do this for sinful people who don't deserve it who haven't earned it, who really deserve to go to hell, but I want to give them a chance because I love them so much. Maybe, just maybe, some of the people will put their trust in me by trusting in you, son. And if they do trust in you, we're going to forgive them. You'll take the punishment for them, and they can be with us for all eternity. And so God had the, this conversation, the father with his son, Jesus, Jesus said, yes, I am willing. I will do it. I will give everyone an opportunity if they want to repent and follow me. 4,000 years after the point of creation, that's exactly what happened. And so what did, G, what did God, the father determine beforehand that Jesus would be the way? What did he choose for you and I? That if we put our faith in Jesus, that we would be saved. What did he determine in the very beginning before any of this got into existence? That if you trust in Jesus, you will be adopted into his family. Out of the trillions of people that have been born from the point of creation to where we are at today, we're about 2,000 years after the point of Jesus, the trillions of people, only a certain percentage have actually said yes to God. 
Are those because God just wanted to send the rest to hell? I don't believe so at all. God gave everyone the opportunity. He presented everyone with the opportunity to trust in him. God doesn't send a single person to hell. It's our sin that sends us there. He gives us a way to get out of that by putting our trust and our faith in him. But if we don't, if we reject it, then we end up finding ourselves there. God's love is that he, before the foundation of the world, determined that Jesus would come and die on a cross and that he would be the means and the method and the way that we would find salvation. That hopefully makes sense to you. That's the Father's love. Let me final, finally wrap it up with these thoughts then. Now we want to look at the Father's love demonstrated. Now this is where I really want to encourage you to sit and receive what God has for you today. There are some people today that feel unlovable, feel worthless, feel depressed, feel hopeless, feel rejectable. You feel like I've messed up too much. You hate who you are. And I want you today to just sit and open your hands and receive the message of God that the Father, the Creator, the Almighty, the Abba loves you. Despite what you've done, despite where you're at today, He loves you. How can we know this? Well, here's what He says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Yeshua the Messiah. He's blessed us. Who is, who is this? Now let's focus on the us part of it. We, we didn't focus on that before, but let's focus on this. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He chose us in the Messiah before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Messiah Yeshua in keeping with the good pleasure of his will. He just made some statements about your identity that I want you to hang on to. Here's your identity according to God. Not that we have earned it, not that we can possibly get there ourselves, but God wants us to know how loved and how valuable we are. Here's what he says. Number one, you are blessed. You're blessed. Blessed us with every spiritual blessing. You are in a position of being blessed. Did you know that? Many people look at blessing as a financial gift. That's not what blessing is. Many people look at blessing as the right job. That's not what blessing is. Many people look at blessing as having perfect health. That's not what blessing is. God has blessed you. In other words, he has put you in a favored position because of the work of Jesus. The blessings that you have are all eternal. Don't look at the here and now, the 70, 80 years of life, if we're lucky that we have. Look at the future. The blessing that we have is all eternity with the Father, all eternity with the Son, in paradise and glory. That's the blessing. And he says, the word, and the word blessing, by the way, is the word favored. You are in a favored position. In other words, God might look at you and say, you are my favorite. If 
you ever thought of that concept that God looks at you and says, you're my favorite? My children are always vying for who is the favorite in the family. In fact, they'll put me on the spot at times as to who is the favorite. I try to tell all of them that you're all my favorite. I love all of you completely and full, fully. I don't love one of you more than the other or one less than the other. I love you the same. If we ever make the mistake of saying, well, you are my favorite, but all of them are my favorite, they will even, like my son tried to do uh, last night, try to record me on the phone saying you're my favorite so that he could play it to his siblings. But I don't fall for that trap. I'm too wise for that trap to be sprung. God looks at you and says, you are my favorite. You're not above anyone else. You're not below anyone else. You're all my favorite. And that is an important concept and idea that we hang on to. Not only are you blessed, did you know that you're chosen? You are picked by God. God gives the opportunity, but he puts into your heart desires to follow him. You have received that. You have been chosen by him because of that. You remember when you were a kid and you were picking sides for a team? Maybe you're going to play kickball in the backyard or maybe baseball, football, whatever it might be, and you're playing game. You've got all the neighborhood kids that are there, and you have two people that are captains, and the two people that are captains go about the, the job of picking their teams. And so one person will say, well, I pick this person. And then the other will say, well, I pick this person. And they go down the list in really athletic ability until they get to the final two. And what do they usually say with the final two? They say, well, you can have that person. And I guess I'll take this person. And it's kind of the last pick of the game. And if any of you were ever the last pick, you kind of felt that shame of being the last pick. God doesn't do that. You are gathered, you're picked, you're chosen. That's, again, an identity. I'm wanted by God. I'm blessed by God. I am chosen by God. Number three, he says, not only that, you are made holy and blameless. Look at this. He says, you're holy and blameless before him. How many of you feel holy and blameless? Do you know that the word blameless means literally without blemish or defect? Did you know that? How many of you, if you were, as you were getting ready this morning for church, you looked at yourself in the mirror and you thought, I have no defects. I have no blemishes whatsoever. I am absolutely perfect. Did any of you think that? And if so, uh, we're going to set up some counseling for you for narcissism. <laughs> that idea, though, scripturally is God looks at you without blemishes and without defects. Not because of you, but because what he says, he says, you were made holy and blameless before him. In other words, Jesus makes you holy and blameless. So don't look at yourself as, I'm defective, I don't measure up, I'm not good enough. That's a lie straight from the pit of hell. Instead, look at yourself and say, God, the creator, loves me. And he's blessed me. And he shows me his favor. And he has chosen me. And he has made me holy and blameless. Not who I was. Not what I have done. He's made me new. 
What a beautiful concept. Finally, God the Father also adopts you into his family. I love this the most. He adopted us as sons through Jesus. That means you didn't earn it, you didn't deserve it, but Jesus paid the price so that you could be adopted. I love the concept of adoption. There's something beautiful, obviously, about having children, naturally born children, but not everybody sees it like that. Some people find out that there is a pregnancy and they feel like, whoops, that's a mistake, and they treat you as such, or they treat the child as such, like this was a mistake and it's messed up my life. Do you know adoption is nothing like that? Adoption is so beautiful because adoption says you are wanted. If you are an adopting family, you don't have to adopt. You don't have to take in an orphan. There's no requirement. There's no obligation. There's no rule or law that says so. It's all happening in the heart of the person who's adopting. They say, you know what? We have love to give, and we want you. I want you to be a part of our family. Do you know when you're adopted, you're given all of the rights of the naturally born heirs? That means equal share in the inheritances, equal part of the family. You're given the family name. You have equal say in the family. You're not an outsider. You're an insider because you have been adopted. Do you know that God the Father says, I want to adopt you because I want you. I don't have to take you. I get to take you. I don't have to bring you into the family. I want to bring you into the family. And that's the love that God has. Let me close with this final idea. It says this. He predestined us for adoption through Jesus. So what was the predetermining, the determining beforehand? That Jesus would be the way. He knew you would come to him, but the whole plan was not about you as much as it was about his son. His son would be the way. But when I am bringing you to the family, I'm going to adopt you. Now notice this. This is in keeping with the good pleasure of his will. Do you know what that means? It means this is what pleased God. God was so pleased that he could adopt you. When you said yes to Jesus and you put your trust in Jesus, that brought a smile to God's face and rejoicing in heaven because this pleases his heart. It pleases God's heart every time somebody comes to him in faith and he can welcome them into his family and they can receive the inheritance that has been laid out for them. And that brings joy and celebration to God. Today, receive this. You have a father who looks at you and says, I love you. You're my favorite. I want to bring you into my family. I want to adopt you. This pleases me if you would receive me. In his book called Ruthless Trust, Brennan Manning tells the following story that I want to close with. 
Brennan Manning, who's an author, was in Bible school and seminary, and he says this, Shortly after I was ordained, I took a graduate course. The course was taught by an old professor. He was a Dutchman, and this professor told the following story from his own life. The professor said, I was one of 13 children. One day, when I was playing in the street of our hometown in Holland, I got thirsty and I came into the pantry of our house for a glass of water. It was around noon and my father had just come home from work to have lunch. He was sitting at the kitchen table visiting with a neighbor. A door separated the kitchen from the pantry and my father did not know that I was there. The neighbor said to my father, he said, Joe, there's something that I've always wanted to ask you. You have 13 children. Out of all of your 13 children, is there one of them that is your favorite? One that you love more than all of the others? The professor said, I had my ear pressed against the door, hoping against hope that my father would pick me. That my father would say my name. Well, the father said to the neighbor who had asked him the question, he said, well, that's easy. Sure, there's one I love more than all the others. That's Mary, the 12-year-old. The professor said his heart kind of sank when he said that. The father went on to say she got braces on her teeth and feels so awkward and embarrassed that she won't go out of the house anymore. And then he said, oh, but, but wait a second, you asked about my favorite. Well, that's actually my 23-year-old Peter. His fiance just broke their engagement, and he is desolate. Oh, but the one I really love is little Michael. He's totally uncoordinated. He's totally out of control when he's playing games with all of the other kids. Oh, but wait a second, you said my favorite, correct? That's Lucy. Lucy's got a drinking problem, and it's growing worse, and I pray for her every day. And this professor who was relating the story said, he went through, my father went through every one of the children one by one until he had named all 13. Do you know that you have a father God who loves you like that? That you are the apple of his eye. In fact, in the book of Zechariah, it says these words. It says in Zechariah 7, 8, God says of the nation of Israel, he said, when the people plunder you, they are touching the apple of my eye. Do you know that God looks at you in that manner? You're the apple of his eye. Today, just sit and receive the love of the Father. Because until you receive the love of the Father... You can't do anything else in the book of Ephesians. That's where it begins. That's where it sinks in. And that's where it begins to affect us as we move forward. We're going to close today with a word of prayer. And I want to pray that God would just encourage you and that you would receive and know this incredible love that God has for you. And after we close, Pastor Stephen is going to lead us in singing the, the doxology, which we've not done before here at the church. Most of you probably know the doxology. We want to sing that as a declaration of praise to the Father as we leave this place. Let's pray as we close. Father God. I pray today that we would understand and know that you love us with a passion. That we can't even fully wrap our minds around how much you do indeed love us. 
you love us so much that you, before the foundation of the world, determined that your son would be the way that people could be made right with you. You don't want to see anyone sent to hell, but we are sent there because of our own sin and our hard-heartedness and our rebellion toward you, that we won't turn toward you and receive your grace. Lord, you've made a way that we can be with you forever, and that is through the cross of Jesus, your son. Through Jesus, we have been picked and blessed and wanted and adopted and chosen by you. Father, we thank you that you care about us so much that you would send your son. For you so love the world that you gave your one and only son that whoever would believe and put their trust and faith in him would be saved. I pray that that would be the case for all of us in this room and all that are watching, that we would have put our faith and our trust in you. That even as, as bad as this world can be, we can look forward with anticipation at what is going to be the future, and that is eternity with you. Help us to continue to hold strong to that belief and that faith. For those today that really, really wrestle, Lord, with those negative self-thoughts, those that negative identity where they feel worthless, they feel like they don't measure up, they feel unlovable, remind them today that they are yours, that they belong to you, that you have created them and you don't make junk, you don't make mistakes. They are exactly who you wanted them to be. They have gifts and abilities, but mostly, Lord, they are loved and part of your family. Father, thank you for meeting with us. Encourage us as we leave. Help our souls to be lifted toward you. We thank you and we praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Would you stand as we sing the doxology together as we close here today? today. Go in peace. God bless you. Hey, thanks so much for checking out that message from Journey Church. We pray that it inspired you to trust the Lord, 
to treasure people and to transform our world with the saving gospel message of Jesus Christ. If God is leading you to give to this ministry, be sure to head over to journeychurchgillette.com and hit the give icon in the bottom right hand corner. Your generous contributions allow us to continue making content like this week after week. So thank you for your generosity so that we can keep spreading the message of Jesus Christ all over the internet. Hey, God bless you guys, and thanks for listening to this message.